Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Good morning. Welcome to the Vince Coakley Radio Program. Welcome to Wednesday. I am glad you are here. In the midst of uh, all that is going on, I hope you are weathering through and are at a state of peace of mind and relative calm as we watch events unfold in a number of areas. During the broadcast today, of course, we will have an update on what's going on with our ongoing Middle East situation Some interesting other twists and turns that we will ponder today. We start with the road to justice. You know, it's pretty frustrating when you see continual actions of people that clearly cross a line into threats, intimidation. And it's encouraging at least to see Steps toward prosecution. We'll talk about that as we begin the broadcast today. We're starting off talking about the homeland. Because that's really what we should be most concerned about. This is not to in any way downplay or diminish the significance of developments in the Middle East. It is to highlight the importance of us taking care of things right here at home making sure that we are properly governing ourselves, that we have law and order here in America, that our borders are secure. You've heard warnings now from Democrat governors who are paying the price for sanctuary city policies. Coming up, you're going to hear more about the price tag the lamentations of a big city mayor coming up. Also concerns about terrorism here in this country, especially as it relates to the open borders we are dealing with. A warning from the FBI about the concern of an increased threat of terrorism right here in the United States of America. We have a couple of warnings along those lines coming up. Another country that has not been discussed before now voicing their concerns about one of the proposals on how to deal with Palestinians. A dire warning that country is expressing against the plan offered by Israel. Then we delve into some very grave possibilities. Lindsey Graham, the warmonger, back at it again. If you did not hear what he had to say on Meet the Press, you will this morning. It very much concerns me. And we're also here from a retired U.S. Army colonel who is warning that there is way too much overheated conversation and rhetoric right now that, unfortunately, is overwhelming thought. (laughs) Thought is a novel thing, isn't it? when you're talking about issues of war and peace. New polling data on the president, it is not good. And as we find ourselves a day further beyond the terrible shootings in Maine, an insight that a lot of people may not have heard of, and it relates to some actions taken back decades ago. And it's a cautionary warning for us with all of the sanitized language that we are using now in other areas. Lies kill people. We'll deal with that during the course of the broadcast today. I want to begin with the beginning of justice. I suspect this story is not going to be the last of its type. CNN reports on the Cornell student accused of making anti-Semitic threats against Jewish, Jewish students. He will be in court today. 
accused of threatening an online post to harm his New York College Jewish community. Anti-Semitic threats and incidents have flared across the United States amid mounting Middish conflict following the Hamas attack on Israel. The man in question, his name is Patrick Dye. He's a Cornell junior. Arrested yesterday, charged federally with posting threats to kill or injure another using interstate communications. He will be in court today at 2.30 in Syracuse. Prosecutors say the 21-year-old published posts in an online discussion forum in which he threatened to kill and injure Cornell's Jewish students and shoot up the university's predominantly kosher dining hall, 104 West. In one post, Dye wrote he would bring an assault rifle to campus and shoot Jewish people. Dye could not be immediately reached for comment. After the threats were posted on Sunday, Cornell University police ramped up patrols and increased security for Jewish students' organizations. New York State Police increased its security presence on campus. The violence, the threats, surfaced amid a reported spike in anti-Semitic incidents as a war between Israel and the Palestinian militant group rages in the Middle East. Such incidents in the U.S. increased nearly 400% in the days after Hamas attacked Israel October 7th. 400%. Anti-Semitism reaching historic levels here in the U.S. According to FBI Director Christopher Wray, Pro-Palestinian vandalism reportedly has rattled Jewish communities in recent days in Pittsburgh, Minnesota, and Rhode Island. This week, the Biden administration announced new measures aimed at combating a dangerous scourge of anti-Semitic incidents on U.S. college campuses, with the president telling reporters he's very concerned about the rise of anti-Semitism. Beyond Cornell, the editor of Yale's student-run newspaper apologized this week for the removal from two editorials about the attack on Israel, references to allegations of rape and beheadings committed by Hamas. Apology. Kind of lame. How about a resignation? At Cornell, Jewish students make up about 22% of the student body, with about 3,000 undergraduate and 500 graduate Jewish students, according to the school's Organization is awareness of the threatening online post spread Sunday evening. Cornell Hillel warned students and staff to avoid 104 West out of the abundance of caution. These threats stoked fear and anxiety throughout Cornell's Jewish community, which had already been feeling uneasy about several of the campus sidewalks getting vandalized with anti-Israel graffiti last week. Molly Goldstein, co-president of the Cornell Center for Jewish Living, telling CNN Jewish students on campus right now, unbelievably terrified for their lives. I never would have expected this to happen on my university campus. The governor saying New York officials are taking reported acts of hate against Jewish, Palestinian and Muslim residents very seriously. Saying whether it's a Jewish student, Palestinian, Muslim, people are under enormous distress right now. And the emotional toll these hate crimes are taking is cruel and has to stop. People feel vulnerable going to their synagogues or their mosques or their classes. This is not who New Yorkers are. Well, truthfully, apparently, it is the case with some New Yorkers. That's the reality. That has to be recognized, and it's not new, sadly. Still to come on the broadcast, we'll talk about another issue in the homeland, illegal immigration. A couple of aspects of this, one of them financial. We have a big city mayor very concerned about what's happening to his city. And how about the untold number of migrants who have just faded into the woodwork here in the United States of America. We have no idea where they are. They're called gotaways. We'll talk about that and the danger that risk poses to the country. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Back on the Vince Coakley radio program, one of the concerns that we have is relates to the homeland. An open border. And we are seeing the impact of this. Now it's getting attention. It's, it's really interesting how so many of these border cities and towns, they've been dealing with this for decades. They've been crying out for help. Nobody cared. All of a sudden, when these migrants find their way in big numbers, up to the big cities, to Martha's Vineyards, to New York City. Oh, it's a crisis now. Well, it's always been a crisis. I still, to this day, and you can call me a hardliner, you can call me whatever you want. I think the people responsible for this over the years should be held civilly and maybe even criminally responsible for whatever these folks do. Nonetheless, let's talk about the economic damage to America's largest city New York City another warning from New York City Mayor Eric Adams we remind you he is a Democrat not a Republican and he's warning about the devastating impact of illegal immigration and how this is completely out of control way out of controls here one of the things he addressed here at the beginning is the money you know what i've said this before if you want to pay for something with your money that's your choice if you want to pretend through virtue signaling that you care about people and you want to send the bill to somebody else well that's a problem this is what liberals do in america as a matter of fact they want to give somebody else the bill and in this case, this bill is falling <laughs> right in the lap of New York City. It's a lot, too. Don't believe me? Just ask Eric Adams. Here he is talking about the cost of these migrants. Listen up. It is going to cost us this year $5 billion. and three years, $12 billion. We have a $106 billion budget. But 76 billion of that is already accounted for. It's like if you have a house and you budget yourself for the year, you know where your food, your clothing, your electricity, your gas, and all of those things. And all of a sudden, your roof caves in. You say, wait a minute, so I got insurance. Let them come fix it. Our insurance was the federal government, and they're saying to our insurance contract, we're not giving you anything. So now we have to, you, me, taxpayers, have to find $12 billion out of a $30 billion budget. It has to come from somewhere. It has to come from somewhere. And they're leaving us stranded. Stranded. And the worst part about it, we could easily get another two to 300,000 more migrant asylum seekers in the next few months. We're getting, we're getting anywhere from 20, 500 to 4,000 a week a week and the next it's crazy isn't it now the reality of this begins to set in doesn't it for people like Eric Adams and again you can talk about cities like El Paso other border communities this is the story of their lives for decades and nobody paid attention now all of a sudden oh this is a crisis so basically Eric Adams is saying the federal government has dropped the ball on this and one of the unfortunate things is the city is left with no options whatsoever here are the rest of his comments they say well Eric why don't you just stop letting them in it's against the law federal law does not allow me to do that 
Well, why don't you just deport? It's against the law. Federal law doesn't allow me to do that. This has created a crisis that's wrong for New York taxpayers, wrong for the migrants, and wrong for our city and wrong for our country. And the national government is not doing their job. You should not have to pick up the cost of this. And migrants and asylum seekers should not be living in the conditions that we're in. Go look at what's happening in other cities. In Chicago, they're sleeping in the police precincts. In other places, they're sleeping on the streets. Our goal is for children and families not to sleep on the streets. But we're at, we're at the breaking point. There is no more room. Hundred and over 160-something thousand. And as I stated, we're getting anywhere from 2,500 to 4,000 a week. Think about that. This is so devastating for our city. And clearly, Eric Adams saying here, you can understand this. This is not sustainable. And at this point, it's not out of the realm of possibilities and likelihood that New Yorkers are going to start seeing these folks simply running out of room to put people. People sleeping on the streets. Some have told the Daily Mail they don't care if New York City's crowded because they're resettling in the Big Apple anyway. <laughs> this week, the New York Times detailed how New York City continues to be the biggest destination for border crossers and illegal aliens, even as Adams has attempted to tell those in Mexico and Central America to choose another city. Please! You notice this? We told you about this a couple of weeks ago when he was traveling. He was trying to tell people at the point of departure, please don't go. Don't come to our city. They ain't listening. Monthly, President Joe Biden's administration is, re is releasing about 60,000 border crossers and illegal aliens into the U.S. interior. Tens of thousands are ending up in New York City every single month. Again, I tell you, this is going to be an interesting campaign issue. This is a conversation the country is ready to have. And it'll be very interesting to see this administration do its little political two-step. But by now, it's all going to be very, very hollow, which probably is a big reason why his numbers are so low. We'll talk about that later in the broadcast. Coming up, we'll talk about the homeland threat from illegal immigration. These are things that ought to be a basic concern of people in this administration. Apparently, it's not that big a deal. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. If you'd like to join the conversation, our phone number is 704-570-1110. We've had some phone issues for the last few weeks or so, and I've heard from some of you, you've had difficulty getting through. Well, that issue has apparently been resolved. So if you're one of those people and you're like, all right, now I want to give it to this guy. <laughs> Now's your opportunity. 704-570-1110 is our number. I started off talking about the homeland. We told you about the homeland threat. This from a college student against Jews. We've talked about the other threat, which is financial, overwhelming our cities. We've got another threat. A lot of the people coming into this country, we have no idea who they are. Sometimes we do know who they are, and that's also a problem. <laughs> In a Senate hearing yesterday, DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas confirmed that over 600,000, just think of this, 600,000 known gotaways at the border in fiscal year 2023. That's how many people that we know about. Gotaways. 600,000. 
That's in the fiscal year 2023. Mayorkas also repeatedly refused to answer Senator Roger Marshall's questions asking how many illegal immigrants have ties to known terror groups, saying only that DHS takes appropriate enforcement action to any national security threats. How much confidence do you have in that? Marshall also asked when and if DHS would provide the countries of origin of people arrested at the border on the FBI terror watch list. Mayorkas responded, that data could be provided in an appropriate setting. In other words, non-public. So in other words, what he's saying to Senator Roger Marshall, who's trying to get this information out in a public hearing, hey, uh, listen, Roger, we don't necessarily want to talk about that in public. Tell you what, why don't we have a you know private meeting? Maybe we can talk about that. What do you think? You know, we can talk about this over coffee, You like Starbucks? This is how these folks work. They know you're not going to like these answers. They're not good answers. Now, the answer is going to get out there anyway, but it sure beats them going on the record. This coming out of their mouths. This being on the news as part of the Biden administration. Because, you know, we have 2024 to be concerned about. 600,000 known gotaways. This says nothing about the ones we are not aware of. Sobering, isn't it? Let's talk about the terrorism threat. Washington Times reports the FBI says terrorism threat has hit a whole other level after the Hamas attack. Terrorist threats against the U.S. reached a whole other level. Christopher Ray telling Congress yesterday the big players in terrorism have all renewed calls to attack America and its interests. He said the level of threats has heightened since President Biden took office, though U.S. law enforcement is better prepared to deal with them. I certainly hope so. But he adds the reality is the terrorism threat has been elevated throughout 2023. The ongoing war in the Middle East has raised the threat of attack on Americans to a whole other level. He said Al-Qaeda has issued its most specific call for attacks on the U.S. in years. You see what's happening here? This has basically awakened all of these other groups that basically have been dormant for a while. Islamic State leaders have ordered followers to attack Jewish communities. Hezbollah eyeing U.S. targets in the Middle East. And then we have Iran pushing proxy attacks on U.S. military bases. Mr. Ray testifying the Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee. Saying the greatest threat to the U.S. homeland remains lone actors or small cells of radicalized people using readily available weapons to attack soft targets. They said the threat from the Middle East, which declined in recent years, again occupies a more prominent place on their radar. Well, it's good to know that. Groups like Al-Qaeda, which carried out the September 11th attack, have less operational capacity now, but are seeking to use the Hamas attack on Israel as a chance to rebuild and recruit. The threat to Jewish communities in the U.S. particularly pronounced. Even before the Hamas attack, Jewish victims accounted for 60% of religion-based hate crimes. Jews comprise just 2.4% of the overall U.S. population. Do you think we have anti-Semitism in this country? Uh, yeah. Mr. Ray saying the rate of attacks has likely increased since October 7th. And this is also telling, in light of the other comments we've heard from this administration, the number of anti-Muslim hate crimes is quite a bit smaller. Hmm. His statement contrasted with a growing trend of both sides' arguments about threats to Muslim and Arab communities, as well as Jews. Mr. Ray saying Jewish communities are victimized by pretty much every terrorist organization across the spectrum. Everyone. This is a group that has the outrageous distinction of being uniquely targeted. 
and they need our help. Iran loomed large over the hearing. The Islamic Republic remains the largest state sponsor of terrorism. You know, that country the United States has been playing footsie with. There's no direct link. This is what they're telling us to Hamas planning for the October 7th attack, but Tehran and its proxies, like Hezbollah and Lebanon, maintain the capacity for sophisticated attacks on U.S. interests. For now, the proxies are trying to foster chaos, but avoid anything that would open up a concerted second front with the United States or Israel. They're just trying to keep it on a certain level. Whether that remains the case, we will see. Coming up, another U.S. Senator warning about the risk to the homeland and we hear about yet another country which is concerned about the possibility of getting pulled into conflict plus we'll deal with a country that one u.s senator here in the carolinas is suggesting we might want to bomb yeah believe it or not <laughs> Someone very near and dear to your heart. I say this to those of you south of our border. You know who I'm talking about. We told you about the testimony of the Homeland Security Secretary. And in light of this, Senator Ted Cruz of Texas, he's warning the risk of a terrorist attack here in the U.S. is the highest since the September 11, 2001 attacks because of the ongoing war between Israel and the militant group Hamas. Ted Cruz telling Fox News, I believe we're at greater risk today for a major terrorist attack in the United States than we have been at any time since September 11th. And you combine war in the Middle East with open an open border on our southern border referring to the border as an invitation for potential homeland security threats. This is an invitation from the Biden White House. If you're a terrorist, you want to murder Americans, come to Mexico. They'll let you in. It's dangerous as hell. Cruz also introduced the Hamas Sanctions Act, which would target the organization by imposing sanctions on actors that provide funding and territory to the group. The administration also refuses to enforce sanctions against Hamas for terrorism, for the use of human shields, or against those who violate terrorism sanctions and provide Hamas with financial or material support. The Hamas Sanctions Act would end these catastrophic policies, prohibit the administration from allowing further funds from flowing to Hamas and Iran, and end the ability to provide Hamas leaders with safe haven in violation of san sanctions. I have a hard time believing this is going to go anywhere. They do not in any way, the Democrats specifically, do not want the Biden administration to look weak, as they already do. That's the reality here. So as a result, this is going to remain a situation that is unaddressed. This is what I fully expect. It's really interesting to me. We've talked about this plenty of times about the Palestinians. And I state what I've said before. I have absolutely zero against the Palestinians. Nothing. Unfortunately, I've become convinced that all the people who are allegedly pro-Palestinian are not at all concerned about Palestinians. The goal is to use the Palestinians as a weapon. They want to weaponize the Palestinians against Israel because the goal is no Israel. This is not Vince Coakley opinion. This is Hamas strategy. This is Hezbollah strategy. This is the message that has been received by Palestinians for years. This is what they are taught in schools, a map with no Israel on it. So what is the solution to all of this? Okay, we're going to try the two-state thing. 
That clearly doesn't work. Here's an idea. How about sending these folks to Sinai? Now, we have this story. Egypt prepared to sacrifice millions of lives to protect its land. The Egyptian Prime Minister, Mustafa Madbouli, says regional issues would not be solved at the country's expense. This is about an Israeli plan to transfer Gaza Palestinians to Sinai. Egypt committing to protecting its land, maintaining its sovereignty over it. Mavli visited Al-Arish in northern Sinai, accompanied by hundreds of government officials and public figures, saying we're prepared to sacrifice millions of lives to ensure no one encroaches upon our territory. Wow. Egypt will never allow anything to be imposed on it. Adding that regional issues would not be solved at the country's expense. His message appeared to be a response to reports an Israeli government ministry has drafted a wartime proposal to transfer the Gaza Strip's 2.3 million people to Egypt's Sinai Peninsula. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's office played down the report compiled by the intelligence ministry as a hypothetical exercise, a concept paper. But its conclusions deepened long-standing Egyptian fears Israel wants to make Gaza into Egypt's problem and revive for Palestinians memories of their greatest trauma, the uprooting of hundreds of thousands of people who fled or were forced from their homes during the fighting surrounding Israel's creation back in 1948. The Egyptians do not like this plan. This document, dated October 13th, six days after the Hamas attack that left more than 1,400 dead in southern Israel, proposes moving Gaza's civilian population to tent cities in northern Sinai, then building permanent cities and an unidentified humanitarian corridor. A security zone will be established inside Israel to block the displaced Palestinians from entering. The report did not say what would become of Gaza once its population is cleared out. The intelligence ministry is a junior ministry that conducts research but does not set policy. Egypt has long feared Israel wants to force a permanent expulsion of Palestinians into its territory. That's what happened during the war surrounding Israel's independence. Egypt ruled Gaza between 1948 and 67 when Israel captured the territory along with the West Bank and East Jerusalem the vast majority of Gaza's population are the descendants of Palestinian refugees uprooted from what is now Israel also Madbouti visited the Rafah crossing between Egypt and the Gaza Strip he said the crossing Egypt is engaging at all levels starting with the political leadership with President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi, to all state agencies that are moving to solve this unprecedented humanitarian crisis that the innocent residents of the Gaza Strip are exposed to today. And he's repeating again, the two-state solution is the comprehensive solution that will ensure peace in the region. I would love to know how he thinks that is going to happen based on recent events. <laughs> but we know one thing, Egypt does not want these people. They do not want them in the Sinai. Another angle to watch in the coming days. Much more on the Vince Coakley radio program, including a South Carolina senator who's suggesting we bomb Iran and a retired Army colonel who's warning the dire consequences if we go down that road. This is some sobering stuff, and I'm suggesting we better listen. Don't want to play around with this stuff. That much more as we continue. Stay with us. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
And welcome to our number two, the Vince Coakley Radio Program. Still to come on the broadcast, Iran. Exactly what is this country up to? And should we take the counsel of South Carolina's senior senator, who suggests there may be a scenario where we may need to bomb Iran? You'll hear his comments and a reaction to those comments and a concern about what could happen if we go down this particular road that is still to come. First, let's go out to a call here in Charlotte. Let's go first, Corey. Good morning, Corey. Welcome to the broadcast. Hey, Mr. V, thank you for taking my call. Absolutely. Oh, Mr. V, in full disclosure, I am not a Democrat, Republican, conservative, or liberal. None of those three picks at the All right. All right. Hey, Mr. V, uh, I always turn on y'all's radio space because I love listening to WBT. Y'all are fair. Y'all are balanced. I really do like y'all. Uh, my issue is you got over a thousand or so illegal immigrants from Ukraine. No documentation whatsoever floating around in Charlotte. But it's always a heart on the Hispanic brothers and sisters coming across that board. So is there anything in particular you're concerned about with, I mean, is there any history or concern that should be raised uh, just by the nature of their coming into this area or any other area of the country? Yes, sir. The same talking points for terrorist acts of Hispanics could be the same thing for Ukrainians coming in on this, coming here, too. So I, I'm just like, where's the fairness in all of this backlash towards the Hispanics, but not towards the other ones that's coming? I can give you a prime example of New York. You got a lot of legal immigrants being housed in hotels when you got the American veterans sitting on the sidewalk looking for somewhere to sleep. It's like we live in two different Americas with two different realities. Uh, and, and we're talking about a couple of separate issues here because I want to clarify something. The things I've heard about the, the concern about uh, the immigration from Mexico relates more to crime. It's not terrorism that's been the main concern here. I think what is most concerning are the people who are coming, especially from Middle Eastern countries, crossing our border through Mexico. And especially those who are actually on a terrorist watch list. That's where the terrorism concern is. For everybody else, I think this becomes largely an economic concern. Uh, and, and I go back to what I've said before. I think you'll agree with this, Corey. We need to be prioritizing taking care of our own first before we let anybody else in the door. Well, we can't do that. Well, let me stop saying we. It seems like certain people in America can't do that because they're wanting to harp on, i.e., send millions of dollars to help Israel. Israel can take care of itself, i.e., send millions of dollars to Ukraine. Ukraine and Russia is like cousins fighting each other. Why are we involved? And that's a fair question, and some could also make the argument these don't necessarily have to work against each other. Uh, but I, I fully understand your concern about uh, just taking care of our own, especially our veterans who have already given everything, everything. Exactly. And here and we are. And yep. And There's no, no excuse. Foreigners going in hotels with no documentation. And I'm I like, know. am I the only person that's seeing this? Why aren't no, you're not. conservatives seeing this stuff? You're not the only one. You're among many. And the sad thing is we have politicians who simply do not care. And as long as we continue to vote those same people in office, they will continue to do the same thing, which is nothing. Because there's not a oh, big I constituency totally there. We need a we need an American party. Forget the Democrat and Republican party. Ooh, we need I like another that. party to come in there and break up this uh, holy matrimony between two parties, which is the Republican and Democrat. I I love how. Have you ever heard? Um, trying to remember the guy's name now. Um, I am Rock terrible Rock. with this. No, I'm talking about a leader in the United Kingdom, uh, Nigel Farage who refers to, uh, and he says this about the Conservative Party and the Liberal Party in the United Kingdom, he calls it the Uniparty, because he said this is the end of the day, they pretty much have the same agenda. They work together, 
They're two different wings on the same ugly bird. So, uh, Corey, uh, you're not crazy. We're on the same page. Uh, the question is, do we have leadership, which is going to prioritize Americans for a change? Yeah, it is interesting. And, 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 and this is not a position on funding for Ukraine or Israel or anything like that. Why is it? We always have a crisis. Guess what? For a lot of our veterans, they have a crisis, and they've had a crisis for a long time. We've got to go running off. You ever known people like this? they got to go save everybody else's family and everybody else's situation, and they ignore their own problems at home. It's not healthy. Not healthy at all. And I've used it over and over again. I stole this. Stole this from my wife. What do they tell you? The instruction by the flight attendant on the plane. Put on your mask before helping others. We would do well to take that advice. Very much so. Which brings us, by the way, to another possible military misadventure. (laughs) This is all we need right now. I take you to NBC's Meet the Press. And a conversation with South Carolina's senior senator, Mr. Warmonger Lindsey Graham, who hasn't changed at all. This is the same guy, same stuff. He's Mr. Tough Guy. So he made some pretty inflammatory comments about the possible need for America to do something very drastic with Iran. Listen for yourself. You said this week that the only way to keep the war from escalating is to hold Iran accountable, part of what you're talking about now, and that it might mean bombing their oil refineries. Have you had any discussions with the Biden administration about this? A a bit. Here's my message. If Hezbollah, which is a proxy of Iran, launches a massive attack on Israel, I will consider that a threat to um, to, to the state of Israel, existential in nature. I will introduce a resolution in the United States Senate to allow military action by the United States in conjunction with Israel to knock Iran out of the oil business. Iran, if you escalate this war, we're coming for you. Are you effectively poised to declare war on Iran? That's very strong language. I I am poised to use military force to destroy the source of funding for Hamas and Hezbollah. Knock Iran out of the oil business. Boy, how is that going to go for us? And and you can hear a number of (laughs) very simple to discern concerns that are raised by this particular statement. Do we really want to do this? Coming up, you will hear from a retired U.S. Army colonel who is not recommending we do something like this. But he's concerned we're going down this road the road of possible expanded war, expanded conflict with America getting involved. We'll tell you what he's concerned about as we continue our broadcast. Over on social media, Tony writes in, (laughs) whatever Lindsay says, just do the opposite. It will no doubt be better for us. He is an idiot. (laughs) So apparently, Tony's not a fan of the idea of bombing Iran in a way that disables their oil program so they can't fund terrorism. (laughs) Just putting that out there. Oh, my goodness. And it's not just... Tony, who has a concern about the possibility of the United States getting pulled into a war. Retired U.S. Army Colonel Douglas McGregor. He appeared on the Tucker Carlson program yesterday evening. And he is very, very concerned about these war drums, especially as it relates to the United States of America. He is concerned about our vulnerabilities And one of his big concerns overall is that we're in a very, very sensitive, emotional time 
And he's concerned that a lot of what is driving the conversation now is emotion. People are not stopping to really think about how to do this and whether to do this. Here is Douglas McGregor basically communicating the idea that we're going down the road of heading to war. Yes, I do. And uh, it looks like the chosen destination is indeed Armageddon. There doesn't seem to be any real appreciation for the implications for us and, and frankly, for Europe and the world, as well as the Middle East, of such action. You know, take for an example, just on the economic side, about 20 uh, percent of the world's oil passes through the Straits of Hormuz every month. Uh, probably 25 percent of liquefied natural gas. And you're talking about shutting down two to three million barrels uh, a day of oil from Iran. Uh, you know, this entire region is involved in the war. This is not an Iranian monopoly by any stretch of the imagination. But the point is that when we're looking at 10-year Treasury yields up over 5%, and people are increasingly convinced that the Fed has lost control, the economic side of the house is catastrophe. Then when you look at the military side, you have to look at the arsenal of missiles that Iran possesses. And they can reach out 1,200 miles with great precision, very uh, high explosive conventional warheads that would do enormous damage, destroying whole city blocks in places like Haifa, Tel Aviv, even Jerusalem, though I doubt they would attack Jerusalem. The, the bottom line is that we need to think this through, and everyone right now is emoting. There is no thinking anywhere, as far as I can tell. Emoting. Emoting. This is what's getting us in trouble, pulling us down the road to war. So you heard Lindsey Graham talking about the idea of potentially attacking Iran. Blowing the hell out of them. So we basically put an end to their oil program. So Douglas MacArthur, Douglas McGregor, I should say, MacArthur. We go way, way back for that one, don't we? McGregor, here he is addressing the issue about what happens if we do attack. Well, all of the bases that we have in Iraq and Syria, unfortunately, where we still have over a thousand Americans, all of those would be targeted. And this time they would target them accurately and this destruction would be wholesale. I would expect trouble here at home and in the United States because of the open border. Hezbollah has a very large operation in Mexico. There are no doubt many, many, many Hezbollah agents inside the United States. We can only begin to imagine the kind of trouble they could cause. The missile and space program in Iran is very, very advanced, as is their cyber warfare capability. All of these things would be brought to bear against us. But what's most important, I think, for Americans to understand is if we attack Iran on the basis of Hezbollah's alleged willingness to attack Israel, if Israel invades Gaza, we will end up in a fight with Russia. Russia will not sit by quietly and watch Iran destroyed by the United States air and naval power in the region. And once Russia enters this, uh, it, it becomes much more than just a local conflict, maybe more than just a regional war. Uh, we haven't thought this through. We need to do that. And I doubt seriously at that point that the Turks would be able to stay out. The Turks are Sunni Muslims. They are the de facto leaders of the Sunni Muslim world. They have the largest armed forces in the region. They are in close proximity to Israel. They could move forces south through Syria very rapidly. And I'm sure Bashar al-Assad, assuming he even survives the opening of this campaign, would not obstruct them. Can you imagine this scenario? I mean, think about this. Here we attack Iran. And then Russia decides, wait a second, this is too far. Iran is our proxy in the area. We're not going to stand by and watch them get blown back into the Stone Age. All of a sudden, you've got a direct con conflict between the United States and Russia. And we've already got this 
brewing war going on between Ukraine and Russia. That's not all. Other concerns expressed by Douglas McGregor will delve into those. These are things to think about. That's what this program is for. We're here to promote thought and consideration, maybe more than some of the moron politicians who are ready to throw our money and, frankly, throw our people anywhere. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. So we're talking about some possibilities of some things happening that, man, we hope and pray do not happen. Like a scenario where, as Lindsey Graham suggests, we get involved by taking out Iran's oil capacity. Well, they can't fund terrorism with that, right? <laughs> Goodness. Douglas McGregor, retired U.S. Army colonel expressing this concern that we are in a season where too many of our leaders are simply emoting. They're emoting rather than thinking. You heard earlier about Egypt expressing concern that they would get pulled into this by some sort of plan to move Palestinians into the Sinai. They've made it very clear they're willing to sacrifice millions of people. Their citizens are willing to stand up. That's what they're saying anyway, to make sure this never happens. They have skin in the game here. So Douglas McGregor talks about the issue of Egypt. Listen up. We have to think about Egypt. Egypt has been a good strategic partner for Israel. They've kept the peace there for decades. The Egyptians are now in a very difficult position. Uh, at least 100,000 Egyptian troops have been moved towards the border with Gaza, involving several divisions. Under great pressure from public opinion in the Arab world, in the Muslim world, they may have to engage the Israelis because no one will protect the population in Gaza. That, that's a terrible, terrible possibility, one that we don't want, because if that happens to Egypt, and Hezbollah attacks from the north, that will bring in everyone else. And we're suddenly confronting a war on a regional level that is going to harm us economically, physically in many ways, but could threaten the very existence of Israel, which I think is the root problem here. We don't want Israel's existence threatened. We want to save Israel. We want to keep it intact. But we may not be able to do that if this war runs out of control. And let's be frank. Historically, wars run out of control. They move in directions you never anticipated. So if you think you can plot this, this route forward, as Lindsey Graham thinks, you're crazy. Once this is unleashed, it's not manageable anymore. Wow. Do you agree with what he is saying here? It's kind of silly. To think, okay, we've got this figured out. This is our war plane plan. This is our game plan. And it's going to happen just like we think. There's always, there's always situations where there are twists and turns. I'm still marveling that we're talking about Ukraine and Russia. You know, in a few months, we're going to hit the two-year mark. And remember we had that expert we were playing on this program I played this not as somebody I believed. I played this as somebody I knew who didn't know what he was talking about. He thought this was going to be over in weeks. Here we are. It's still going on. Last clip here from Douglas McGregor. And he talks about our own economic issues and something that we need to think about, which is our own oil supply. Listen. But Americans will figure out pretty quickly if two things tend to happen at once, you have the, the war overseas and the war here, but remember the economy and the, and the financial condition right now. 
if you turn on any of the business channels for the first time in my memory, lots and lots of analysts are coming on and talking about the Fed having lost control, the rising interest rates, you know, the inability to manage and cope with the sovereign national debt of 33 trillion. And that's the tip of a proverbial iceberg. We already have Americans who are struggling with inflation anyway. Now we're looking at potentially scarcity. We've drained our strategic oil reserve for all intents and purposes. If the Strait of Hormuz is shut down, if the Suez Canal is closed, we're in a lot of trouble in the short run, that's for sure. How rapidly can we recover from all of this? How many refineries can we put back into operation? How much drilling can we do quickly? The answer is not very much. So draining that strategic oil reserve was a very serious mistake. Very serious mistake. And why did we drain that strategic supply? Well, it was because of gas prices. Well, why were gas prices increased? Well, for one, <laughs> the policies of this administration, which started to go down the road, of undermining our own domestic supply. That's part of it. Do you see how these things have multiple ramifications? And now here we're using our strategic oil supply. How are we going to refill that supply? How are we going to restock? Haven't had that conversation, have we? No, it was just necessary to make it look like Oh, I'm doing something. See, this is what politicians do. They cannot manage things very well at all. I can't remember who it is. But there was a, an economist who suggested that if we put the U.S. government in charge of the Sahara Desert, it would run out of sand. And it's true. These folks really do not know what they're doing. But they want all of the control. See, they want control. They don't want responsibility. Those things are very different things. Control, titles, positions. All of these things are craved. They're desired by the elites. But at the end of the day, they want to be able to back away and say, oh, that's not my fault. Or no one intended this. You know, that's when people, you know, in the very worst case scenarios, if, <laughs> if there's no way around the fact that the person is responsible for some bad consequences, all we have to do then is fall back on intentions. Oh, that was never my intent. <laughs> that's supposed to be good enough now. So, what I'm asking you to do, above everything else, if you are so inclined, please pray that this situation, we're dealing with the Middle East now, that it is contained. And I pray that the things that need to happen will happen quickly. So, this threat of spreading to other entities including the united states we just don't get there god forbid final stretch of the vince coakley radio program on this wednesday david writes in one concern i see are my christian friends and other christians are exuberant about a war in the second coming i am christian i am ready but i don't wish to expedite the inevitable we need to think before we act. I can just tell you, uh, I don't, you know, people are going to think different things about this. I, be honest with you, I don't pay attention to eschatology anymore. I just don't. It's really been a very small part of my consciousness. Let me just quickly tell you why. I was big into this as a young Christian teenager. And I remember some of the people I listened to or read their materials. One of them in particular, rest his soul, was very much into the idea that the peace deal that was worked out between Egypt and Israel 
was the significant defining event that started the chain of events that would lead to the tribulation period and the return of Christ. Now, for those of you who've been around a while, (laughs) you know where I'm going with this. Get a load of this. You remember that year? It was 1979. The peace deal worked out with Jimmy Carter between Egypt and Israel. Anwar Sadat, Menachem Begin. Remember that? And this person was suggesting that Jimmy Carter was the Antichrist. And at the time, I was kind of amused by this because I, well, let's just say charitably, I did not think Jimmy Carter was smart enough to be the Antichrist. I mean, that's really what I thought. But this is one of the reasons why I've turned this eschatology stuff off because it's, it's, most of the time it's toxic. And what I see out of people is, you know, we've been going around this circle in the wilderness for decades. And, oh, this is it. Ooh, this is it. Ooh, this is it. Guess what? It's not it. Why don't we just wait? <laughs> That's what I'm saying anyway. All right. Time for us to take a look. Well, yes, why not? Let's go to the day in history. I had you you worried for a second, didn't I? (laughs) You did. It's like, oh my goodness. I almost turned it back down. (laughs) What is this crazy Vince going to do now? How you doing today, man? Not bad. Not bad. Uh, We have a total of nine items here. Beginning in 1512 with the opening of the Sistine Chapel. 1765, this was inflammatory. The Stamp Act goes into effect on British colonies. That, of course, was a tax. A tax. 1800. We have the second president, I believe, who moved into the White House. Do you remember his name? Was this John Adams? You are so brilliant. John Adams. 1945. The publication of the first magazine of this type. It's a black magazine. I remember I used to love... Okay, I'm making a confession here, and I know many will be shocked. I love the centerfolds of this magazine. Oh, Vince. I know. You're shocked. Oh, Vince. It was... Is it Ebony? I cannot believe you figured this out. Oh! That's brilliant. Oh! So, uh, now he's going to have fun with this one. Bonus points for Bernie. I... (laughs) (laughs) That is worthy of bonus points. 1945 is when Ebony started. First issue. 1959, Montreal's Jacques Plant is the first NHL goalie to wear a mask. Can you believe they played that game without goalies wearing masks? Absolutely not. Because (laughs) slap shots nowadays, I think they go over like 120 miles an hour or close to it. Oh, my gosh. I mean, can you imagine? Some of these guys take pucks to the face all the time and oh then missing teeth so yeah that's uh, you got to be a grown man to play hockey <laughs> you got that right yeah not for the faint of heart 1967 we mentioned magazines how about this one the first issue of this hit stands this one for music people john lennon was on the cover rolling stone rolling stone is absolutely correct 1967 1968, the MPAA introduced its rating system for what? What did they introduce? Is this movies? Movies, absolutely correct. You're on a streak here. Oh my gosh, it's crazy. 1982, this company started making cars in Marysville, Ohio, the first Japanese car maker to do so. Japanese car maker. Would this be... Toyota? Oh, no. I was afraid you were going to say that. They actually decided to go to Kentucky. My sister worked there. Oh, wow. This is Honda. Honda. Okay, well. Marysville, Ohio. In 1993, the European Union becomes a thing as a treaty goes into effect. 1993. Hey, you ever been to the gym theater in Kannapolis? I don't think I have. You have got to go, Bernie. Take your wife there. She will love you for it. 
you talk about a romantic atmosphere. Oh, Vince. And we've got news that the Gym Theater, downtown Kannapolis, WSOC reporting they're getting $1.2 million worth of renovations from 1930s classics to Taylor Swift, the Eras Tour concert movie, the Kannapolis Landmark, one of the oldest single movie theaters in continuous operation, and it's been bringing in lines of people for over 80 years. 80. That's a long time. And that's going to be interesting to see what they do with this money. $1.2 million worth of renovations. It's basically an old time type of theater. Uh, and the atmosphere is just really cool. I have not been in a while, but I would encourage you, if you've not been there, go check it out. Okay. Downtown Kannapolis, and it's just a great feel all the way around. Not far from where I live, and my dad is actually from Kannapolis, so. Okay, I'll bet you, I can bet you he's been there. Yeah, I'm sure he has. There's no doubt about that. So, that is all the time we have for the broadcast today. We so thank you that you have taken the time to spend this time with us. Lord willing, we're back tomorrow at the same time. Have yourselves a great day, and God bless you. Adios.